0: There we are, live to the world. Don't often hear that, do you? Good morning, world, live from Langbride. <laughs> but we are. Amen. Good to see you this morning if you're joining live or watching later. Welcome. Let's pray before we jump into the Word. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you for that time of worship. Thank you for that time of coming before you. and. Given you our thanks, our gratitude, our, our praise, as you are worthy of praise, Father. You are a good, good God. You've given us of your best, and you want the best for us. We thank you for your provision for that through the finished work of Jesus, and thank you for your word, Father, where we can see about the finished work of Jesus. So thank you that we are now going to gather around your word. We are going to focus on your scriptures. Thank you that they were literally breathe from your mouth. Thank you that they are your words directly to every single one of us this morning. Thank you that you are speaking to us through your words. And we're listening. We, we are, we're waiting to hear from you this morning, Father, and what you have to say to us. We just pray that those seeds will get deep into our hearts and that those seeds will be understood, the word will be understood so that the seeds can't be stolen and then that they grow into the fruit that we desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, hallelujah. We are back in the Gospel of John. Yes, I've been looking ahead, and I, I, Evelyn said it on Thursday night. I think we'll be in this for the rest of 2024, because I ain't got near John 14, 15, and 16 yet. Once we get there, that's months, if not years. We're on the series that we're calling Simply Jesus excuse me, and I hadn't planned it this way, but it's kind of turned into a journey, right, just going through the Gospel of John. And loads of different themes in John, but the theme that's coming out this time when I'm preaching it is the end of religion. He came to finish religion, and he came to bring into his place relationship. and Relationship with every single one of us, that's, that's the great thing. We saw last week, Jesus with the woman at the well. Now he wants a relationship with everybody. If you're a nobody, he still wants a relationship with him. He turns you into somebody. But he wants a relationship with everybody. So that's just awesome. So before December, because we had our amygdala dare, obviously, series in December, um, we'd reached John 11 and lesson 23. So this is lesson 24. And last time we saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. Wonderful. And this week, I want to look at the aftermath of that miracle. It's quite often when we see Jesus doing miracles, there's, a, there's an aftermath. Not just people being set free and saved and released from sickness and whatever and fed, but there seems to be a, a reaction uh, from the religious mindset, the religious establishment. And that's what we're going to look at, look at today, the aftermath of this miracle. This wonderful stinking Lazarus being raised from the dead. I love that word, good old King James, stinketh. But he wasn't stinketh when he was raised from the dead. Amen. So I want to go through the aftermath of this miracle and talk about what's one of the most wonderful pieces of typology in the world. I said to Nunzi, Nunzi says yesterday, she usually does this on a Friday or Saturday, you know, so I said, we'd like, what are we getting in the sermon this week? What are you preaching on this week? I said, well, it's the, the aftermath of Lazarus and um, the high priest. Oh, she got all excited. Because actually, to be honest, we should have kept this for four weeks and maybe Nunzi should have taught it. Um, but see, see how I see how I do so she might come back to this in four weeks when I'm not here, and correct all my theology and um, build on what. But this is this is like Nunzi's revelation. Um, but it's mine now because we all know what Andrew says, don't we? It, you know, what, if you first time you preach somebody else's revelation, you give them credit, and then it's mine. So this is mine. But thank you. So uh, I'll claim it for myself. So let's go to John 11. What are you saying? Well, it was yours when you preached it to us. So anyway, John eleven forty five. <laughs> excuse me. Then many of the Jews, which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Fantastic, which is what you think everybody would do. You know, you see this, you see Jesus raising somebody from the dead and he's telling you all this stuff about himself maybe you would believe him. You'd kind of expect that. I had had issues like that when I was working and I'd see people healed instantly and I would think, oh, they'll come to Jesus now. No. Some people take time. So you'd think that, but then verse 46, but, but, so you've just seen this amazing miracle of Jesus raising somebody from the dead, something you've never seen before, something that, This must be God doing this. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Sneaks. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Isn't that just... I've just suddenly seen that... Not, what a fuss this man's causing. What a pain this guy's being. Look look how he's disrupting our religious ceremonies. No, they say, what do we do? For he does many miracles. It's weird. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you know nothing at all, nor consider it, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation, and that the whole nation perisheth not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but also he should gather together in one the children of God were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness in a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye? that he will not come to the feast. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it, that they might take him. Wonderful account. Quite a sad account when I was sitting meditating upon this. This is the classic picture of how blind the religious mindset can be. Yeah turn it outside, how blind a religious mindset can be, and also how cruel and heartless religion can be. These guys are sick of Jesus. I, I don't know why, you know, he's going around raising the dead, for goodness sake. You know, oh, we can't have that. You know, healing people, especially on the Sabbath, you know, feeding people on the Sabbath, doing miracles on the Sabbath, but setting people free, changing lives. What does Jesus think he's doing? That's, what, that's what's going through these Pharisees' head. What they can't see is he's bringing the kingdom into people's lives. That's what he was doing. But this was against what the Pharisees thought and against what the Pharisees taught, against what they wanted, going against their vested interests. So he had to go. And in their mind, he had to die. And I'm thinking, hallelujah. Hallelujah, yes, he had to die. But not at their hands. Not at their hands. They wanted him dead. And that's what I mean about religion being cruel and being heartless. Wanted him out of the way, wanted him out of the picture. Wanted a man dead for their selfish interests. Not only then, did Lazarus dead as well. We, we saw that. You know, what did the evidence out of the way? Terribly cruel. It just shows how blind those with a religious mindset can be. Those that build their faith on their rules. On their regulations and their traditions. Very sad, because see, grace and truth were right in front of their eyes. The Messiah, who they'd all been looking for, was right there. Ready to enter into a relationship if they wanted it. That's what they were looking for. And <clears throat> I, I just find it quite strange. These, we read about Paul being a Pharisee. And knowing the old covenants and the, their scriptures backwards. Could recite it. They could recite Isaiah. But they can't see Jesus fulfilling Isaiah right in front of their eyes because it's really not the way they thought it would happen, really not the way they wanted it, going against their rules and regulations. Fulfilling all these scriptures. You know, who saw him at his birth? You know, fulfilling all that scripture, showing what he was going to do What he was doing in terms of signs and wonders, deaf ears open, blind eyes open, raising the dead. That was all prophesied, what the Messiah was going to do. Yet, that wasn't the Messiah they wanted. So they just couldn't see it. See, they have their own views, their own ideas, their own mindset, their own interpretations. And as Jesus did not fulfill what they thought, he obviously wasn't what he was saying he was. According to the Pharisees. So they wanted rid of him. And I mean, sitting meditating on this during the week, I have to say, this is what I've come up against time and time again in the church. And I start preaching about un- unconditional forgiveness, and preaching about righteousness, and preaching about grace and truth and healing and prosperity that I see in the Word. I hear people saying, "Yeah, I know what the word says, Vic, but I just don't believe that." Or I actually, I don't want to. I don't want to discuss this with you and look at scriptures. I had one person saying, "Because I know you would win." I actually, came out of their mouth. I don't want to discuss scriptures with you because I know you would win. It's not. It's not a competition. <laughs> But they were almost saying, I don't want to discuss scripture because I know you're right. And I do and I don't want to change. It is that. <clears throat> People say to me, Well, it can't be that easy, Vic. It is. It is that easy. You believe in Jesus. It is that easy. It must be about what we do as as well as what Jesus done. It must be about what we do. Why? Because that's what your tradition says. That's what. So anyway, still trying to trust their own self righteousness, even when you read one Corinthians about self righteousness. Strange. Blinded by religion, even when grace and truth are in front of their eyes, and that's alive and well in the church today. But it's really alive and well there. <laughs> But what I want to look at is this, what the Chief Priest says, what the High Priest says, sorry, because that is so significant. John eleven fifty. Nor consider it that, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perisheth not. He's saying that basically they want Jesus dead. He's causing trouble for us. They're concerned that he's going to cause so much problems that the Romans are going to come in and, and kind of take away their power. The Romans have kind of left them to, to, to kind of be in charge as long as things were, were okay. But cause any trouble, the Romans are going to come in and, you know, hit them with a big stick and take away their privileges, take away their power. So <clears throat> They thought Jesus could cause widespread problems, could cause strife, could cause issues that the Romans did not like, and that would result in a crackdown, causing the whole nation problems. But if we just kill this one guy, that would stop the problems coming on the nation. That's what, this, that's what he means. We need to stop trouble coming against us by killing this one guy. So he's saying, it's okay, folks, we, we can kill one person. If it's for the better good, better good of us and our traditions and our ways of life and the way we want to do things, that's what he's saying. You know, what he's saying is it's better that Jesus has done away with. Almost in a sense, he's saying, "Well, let's let's sacrifice him. We can sacrifice this one guy, and it'll be great for the rest of us." Amen. But he's not say, he's not saying it in the way and the way we are men. He's talking on a purely physical and political level. Let's do away with this one guy. Let's sacrifice this one guy, even though he's one of us. Let's get rid of him for the good of the rest of us. But what we know he's doing, because we know about typology, we know about pictures, what he's also doing is painting a spiritual picture that has gone beyond his understanding. What he's actually doing there is giving us the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. He's speaking out the mission and the work of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the rest of scripture Hebrews 10 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, Caiaphas, let's just sacrifice one guy. Let's just get him out of the way. Let's just kill him. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Further down their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of, the, of the, these is, there is no more offering. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, the perfect sacrifice, the one for all sacrifice. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we used in the Christmas services, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. That could have been shouted straight at Caiaphas. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We know he was born at He was seen by the temple shepherds. He was the last sacrificial lamb. He was our sacrificial lamb. Yes, he was born to die. And Caiaphas is spot on, but not the way he thinks. Absolutely spot on. Same as all the other sacrificial lambs. Now we know, we know because we've studied it and we've read the rest of scripture, we know that that's what verse 50 is talking about. We can interpret that, but we don't even need to interpret it. We just need to read verses 51 and 52. (laughs) And this spoke he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied, that Jesus would die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. The word here gives us the interpretation of the picture. It tells us what the typology is. We don't even have to rightly divide the word, although we can use lots of other scriptures and do that if we just stopped at verse 50. 51 and 52 tells us, it says, Caiaphas doesn't really know what he's saying. He's prophesying what Jesus has come to do. He's going to die for us, and he's going to die for the whole world. He's going to die for everybody. That's what he's saying. Awesome. Yes, Jesus would die, but not to appease the Romans. Not to keep the Pharisees happy. Not to keep the Pharisees in their job. He was dying for the Jewish nation. But not just them. He's dying for the Gentiles as well. He's dying for the whole of mankind. That's what Hebrews 10 says. Sacrifice for all. Once for all. And these verses also, because it's talking about the Jewish nation and everyone else, it's talking about how inclusive the finished work of Jesus Christ is. This is a picture of the inclusivity of Jesus. We all know 1 John 2 verse 2 which is kind of uh, a repetition of this, these two verses. And he is a propitiation for our sins. Hallelujah. In this context, he's a propitiation for the sins of the Christians. And not our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world, the whole cosmos, every, everybody in the world. So in John, kind of pre-cross, he's saying Jesus is for all the Jews and all the Gentiles. That's everybody. Post-cross, John writing again, saying, he's now forgiven all the Christians and everyone else. Again, that's the whole world. It's it's an interesting pre-cross, post-cross. Pre-cross, everybody were the Jews and the Gentiles. Post-cross, it's believers, unbelievers. But in both instances, Jesus is going to die for everybody. Jesus died for everybody. Inclusive. We know 2 Peter 3, 9. <clears throat> Again, this is a verse about inclusivity. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all to be saved. And he's made provision for that through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Everyone has got provision. Everyone is the same. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul puts it, once you're a believer. Everyone's the same. All in one. Class, race, gender. doesn't count. All forgiven, all in God's plan for salvation through Jesus. All part of that cosmos that was written about in 1 John 2, verse 2. All included, none excluded. A couple of pages back, John 10:16. I preached on that months ago. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. They also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus speaking to the Jews, but saying, There's other sheep I have, and not of this fold. That's the Gentiles. So again, he's speaking about everybody. They will hear my voice too, and then there'll be one fold, one shepherd, one church. All the same. Beautiful picture of uh, how inclusive the finished work of Jesus Christ is. In Acts 10, 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and saith, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him, that's in awe and wonder, and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Hallelujah, love that. No favorites, but all favorites. In every nation where there are people who accept God, he accepts them. No one excluded. Think back to the Jewish nation. Think back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those people under the old covenant. That was a religion of exclusion. You had to be in the club to be included. Jesus comes, ends religion, brings in relationship through faith, and this relationship is open to anyone and everyone. I can't remember who, might have been Evelyn again. You you were good on Thursday night. It might have been Evelyn again on Thursday night who mentioned the word whatsoever. You know, that's a great word. It's a great uh, Word to do, a word study on in scripture. Whosoever. Now, whosoever can come to Jesus. Whosoever can come boldly into the presence of God. Whosoever can be saved. And that's due to the inclusivity of Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus and in his finished work. The high priest in John 11 was prophesying the death of his religion. He was prophesying the end of his ministry due to Jesus taking his place. He was prophesying the end of the Old Covenant, the start of the New Covenant, prophesying the end of religion and the start of relationship. The way to God the Father was now through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. It's all about Jesus. High priest prophesying that he was finished, Somebody new was here. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark 14. Let's see when Jesus comes in front of the high priest. See what the high priest does then. Mark 14, encounter between Jesus and the high priest. Just before the crucifixion, Jesus being interrogated by the Jews. Yeah, it says, and they led Jesus away to the high, this is verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They're all gathered there. They're interrogating Jesus. He was questioned. He was abused. And then we hear Jesus speak, 62, and Jesus said, I am. I'll just send them off the deep end. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? We have heard the blasphemy. And say, What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit in his face and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Amazing bit of scripture. And some of you may have missed the important part. You may say, well, isn't it wonderful what Jesus said? Saying I am. Proclaiming his divinity. That's great. You might say, oh, how horrible they treated him. How cruel it was. You know, spitting on him, hitting him. Yeah, that's true. And oh, how sad it was that they did not recognize who he was. So blind in their religion and hatred. Yeah, that's true. But the best bit, the most significant bit, is what the high priest did to his clothes. I imagine a lot of people will just read over that oh he's so upset he rips his shirt whoop-de-doo he rent them, he ripped them he should not have done that Leviticus 21 one of the cleanest books in my Bible I'm ashamed to say No greasy marks on these pages. Leviticus 21.10. And he that is a high priest among the brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. Nor rend his clothes. The high priest should not rip his clothes apart. If he did, and, and you read the rest of Leviticus 21, he would be no longer sanctified. No longer has the authority of God. He's no longer in the role of high priest. By ripping his clothes in front of Jesus, he was giving a picture that my ministry is over. My role as high priest is over. And if you take this logically, take it a step further, and what we know John is teaching, he's saying, The old covenant is over. This is done. Religion is finished. This system needs a new high priest. The next system needs a new high priest. And who's standing in front of him? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the new high priest. We know that, Hebrews 9 we have the scripture to back this up. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, by entering in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. In verse 24 For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed Unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. For Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and took unto to that look for him that he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Awesome. Jesus Christ, the high priest of good things to come, of a better tabernacle. What's called a better covenant and better promises? Our covenant, the new covenant. The high priest of the old covenant, standing in front of the high priest of the new covenant, ripping his clothes, and symbolically saying, my covenant, my time, my religion is over. It's now time for you. Your covenant, new and better. Your time, your way, for a beautiful picture. Started in John 11, completed in Mark 14. The high priest prophesying, saying Jesus is going to die for the nation. Amen. Hallelujah. But not the the way he thought. And then as Jesus was about to die, about to complete his finished work, about to instigate the new covenant, about to put in place everything that had been prophesied before, the old covenant high priest rends his clothes and says, that's it, my time's over. Time to start something new. Just as Jesus was about to go to the cross and do it. It's absolutely awesome. Old covenant to the new covenant, law to grace, religion to relationship. What a wonderful piece of typology. And we don't even have to interpret it because the Bible gives it to us in John 11, 51 and 52. We don't even nun- need nunsies' revelation. It's written there in plain English for us. To... <laughs> now, the high priest doesn't have a clue what he's doing, obviously. The high priest priest, doesn't know what he's doing. But it's written in the Word to enlighten us, to show us, give us the picture that religion is over, the old covenant is over, that way coming... You know, way of coming to God is over. I used to, whenever I heard somebody reading out of Leviticus, I would think, what is the point in looking at this? What is the point in reading this? And I would just drift. I remember in Church of God one time, Bishop Bill standing out of front going, I love Leviticus. I'm thinking, really? I didn't say it to him because I respected the man so much. Love Bishop Bill, I think. Really, what is the point in Leviticus? It's all full of types and shadows and pictures of Jesus Christ. That's what. It, anyway, yeah, a uh, high priest doesn't have a clue what's going on, but that typology is written there for us to see, for us to rightly divide, to to show us that religion is over that the old covenant is over, that way coming to God is over. Now it's a new covenant. It's a new way. It's not religion. It's relationship. At a time when we can a, a time when we can actually not just come to God, but God's in us. And it says you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We never need to beg and plead for God to be with us again. We never need to get on our hands and knees and bellies and beg and plead, whatever he's here. Awesome. Time when we can relate directly to the living God through Jesus Christ. And that's now. Post-cross, that is, a, that is for us now. Wonderful piece of typology. So, what is it? John once again recounting to us that religion is over. This time it's in the picture of the high priest speaking out that Jesus would die for the nation. Speaking out that it's better for one person to die. for everybody to die hallelujah ain't that the truth and what we know is that one person has died so now we don't have to indeed jesus was to die for the whole world that's the gospel i love that here we have the high priest of the old covenant preaching the gospel and he doesn't have a clue amen